Welcome back to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. On this episode, we'll be featuring another insightful live presentation recorded during the recent 2022 Connected Aviation Intelligence Summit. The session featured on this episode focuses on how airlines can develop what's called an aircraft networking security program. This is a security plan that is required by the FAA of airlines registered to operate in the U.S. that feature connectivity on their aircraft. This is effectively a way of proving that connectivity is secure from a regulatory standpoint. The presentation is given by Michael Wigand. He's the chief growth officer of Shift5 Inc. Mr. Wigand is a cybersecurity expert with a very impressive background, including formerly serving as a U.S. Army cyber officer and he gives an in-depth technical breakdown of not only how to secure connected aircraft systems, but also how their internal networks and computers function. So let's get into Mr. Wigand's live presentation on developing an aircraft networking security program for airlines from the 2022 Connected Aviation Intelligence Summit. Good afternoon, Friday afternoon, everybody. How are we doing? So my name is Michael Wagand. I am the co-founder and uh, chief growth officer from Shift5, and I'm untethered from this. Is that correct? Okay, fantastic. So team, today uh, we're going to be talking about the cybersecurity of our connected aircraft. Um, I think many of you, and over the last two and a half days, uh, we've we've heard and we innately understand how critical uh, connectivity is, not just to the in-flight experience, as uh, Colton was just describing with the Sun Country uh, uh, airline and in their. Uh, experience that they provide to their customers, but probably more critically to the operations and uh, an actual flight uh, management of our aircraft. So um, as aircraft get more con uh, connected, of course, their cyber, uh, their cyber bubble, their cyber attack surface grows. We're going to talk a little bit today uh, over the next 45 minutes or 30 minutes on uh, building an aircraft network security program, securing that for both safety, reliability, um, in operational resilience. Just a little bit of background on myself and, uh, and my experience, how I came um, into, uh, into this particular topic. Um, I was originally uh, commissioned from West Point uh, with a degree in computer science, so the Army thought it would be uh, pretty funny to send me to the infantry and throw me out of airplanes um, as an infantry ranger. So I did that for a couple years and uh, learned some basic management skills there. But yearning to put my education to work, I became a cyber officer when the Army established the cyber branch in 2014, uh, the newest branch of service that they had, uh, they had established since Special Forces decades before. Um, and there, I got to work across all facets of the federal government doing offensive and defensive cyber operations in support of national priorities. Uh, my expertise was actually in defending our weapon systems from cyber attack. And weapon systems, whether we're talking aircraft or ground combat vehicles, maritime vessels or satellites, have a tremendous amount in common with their commercial counterpart uh, you know, technologies. Obviously, the technology used today on commercial airliners and business jets uh, you know, much of that was developed for military applications uh, prior. I think some of the Wright brothers' first sales were to the, uh, to the U.S. government um, right down the road uh, at, uh, at College Park Airport in Maryland. So um, there's, a, there's been a long legacy of, uh, you know, technology transfer and innovation across the defense and uh, in, in commercial markets. Um, so, 
you know, today's aircraft, um, really on the heels of the innovation in defense, are, in, in, in my view, you know, you can consider them to be, in some senses, flying data centers. The more sophisticated ones today are fly-by-wire, meaning their avionics are connected via real-time, um, you know, operating uh, systems, uh, you know, specific, um, uh, specific uh, software that's running on some of the more complex avionics that has to operate in certain time domain uh, disciplines. Uh, communicating over digital data buses, passing digital uh, data to other uh, boxes and embedded computers uh, across the, the aircraft. And that's how we make uh, the control surfaces move on, on many of our most sophisticated aircraft. Even when we go back a couple generations and we still look at some of the legacy freighter and passenger aircraft that comprise the majority of uh, you know, the flying fleet internationally, uh, the vast majority of their uh, navigation um, and, uh, and communications infrastructure is all digital on the inside. Uh, so, uh, you know, when we look at fighter jets today, uh, for example, the F-35, uh, many people use this argument, and, and it is absolutely valid. These, these fighter jet aircraft are, are literally flying data centers. They have a tremendous amount of onboard compute and storage capacity, and we're seeing those trends obviously follow in, uh, in commercial aircraft as OEMs make increasingly sophisticated automated and efficient machines uh, for uh, the operators to, uh, to use and, and to provide a better product uh, throughout the industry. Now, with all of this automation, with all of this connectivity and efficiency, of course, as I mentioned earlier, uh, brings increased risk. And uh, what I'm here to talk about today is uh, some FAA policies and procedures and guidance that has come out in recent years to uh, enable airlines to think uh, constructively about putting programs in place to address that. And uh, where, candidly, my personal view, some of that falls short, where the industry is, is currently debating and developing new standards and guidance to, uh, uh, to uh, close some of the gaps. And then I will offer uh, to you guys my, my personal opinion on uh, where we need to go in order to make sure that we um, have a, a safe, uh, connected flying ecosystem. So uh, a little bit on the problem, um, you know, and this is, uh, this is straight from the FAA. Uh, there are credible risks to connected aircraft today. Um, and when I say connected aircraft, the first uh, myth that I want to bust is that there is an air-gapped uh, commercial aircraft out there. If you are a Part 121 or 125 carrier, there is no such thing as an air-gapped commercial airliner, uh, you know, flying uh, through the skies today. Every aircraft has bi-directional data communications, uh, whether it's ADSB, ACARS, um, some SATCOM link you know, uh, to avionics, electronic flight bag connectivity uh, to FCCs and FDMs uh, in the cockpit. You get the point. There is, there is data flowing to and from the most sensitive and critical components of the aircraft. Um, in addition to that, uh, many uh, airlines uh, today have decided to upgrade their fleets with um, infotainment and connectivity solutions. And while the vast majority of those solutions are well segregated and separated or air-gapped from, uh, from avionics, there are instances in, in newer and modern aircraft where they are not. They are logically connected. And a lot of time and attention goes into ensuring that basically data only flows one way from the operational and flight safety sensitive components to infotainment systems. For example, that's how some infotainment systems provide that in-flight you know, uh, tracking or, or map service to customers. Uh, there are some instances where 
the flight deck actually leverages IFE connectivity solutions uh, for efficiency and, and really good business reasons. And so it brings additional scrutiny and need to ensure the security of those, uh, those data links when we start to mix those networks. So the FAA, um, you know, it, it tells us that uh, the idea that malware can be installed on an aircraft is something that the industry has to take seriously. Um, any computer, right, can be loaded with, uh, you know, malicious software or firmware, right, which essentially is anything that the designer or provider of that solution had not provided. Um, and, and computers are dumb, you know, they just run the instructions that they are told to run. So an example is that somebody compromises some ground support equipment, uh, whether an offline attack, you have an, you know, a, an insider um, who decides to uh, modify some software and then load that onto an aircraft and, and maybe they have access to a fleet as, as vehicles come through for 100 hour annual inspections. Uh, that would be a, a type of attack scenario. Or uh, some of these ground support equipment periodically connect to um, other networks, whether we're talking uh, you know, the, the airline's uh, you know, internal networks or even the internet to get updates, patches, uh, you know, get new software from vendors. Uh, that is an example of, uh, of an access vector or um, a way that uh, a malicious actor could modify uh, some type of software or firmware on an avionics system. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, you know, all of the wireless uh, connectivity provides remote access capabilities to um, you know, really determined adversaries to aircraft. And with that, when they, get, uh, when they get or if they can get onto an aircraft, they can do all sorts of things. They can deny, degrade, or disable uh, certain functionality. They can manipulate systems. Uh, and so fortunately, we haven't seen um, overt cyber attacks uh, in, in, the, uh, in the wild that are, that are reported. But there has been you know, credible research conducted by uh, both uh, you know, credentialed academia, of the U.S. government and independents that have verified that these concepts are at least technically feasible, and it, it provides really useful, um, uh, I, I think, uh, use cases for the industry and its security professionals to come together and, and discuss policy. So, uh, just a little bit of background there on, uh, you know, on, on the why we're, we're even talking about this and, and the need for it. So uh, what has the FAA done over the last decade uh, you know, to uh, communicate through its authoritative processes to industry? Well, um, they started with a document called uh, uh, D301, and they uh, then published an advisory circular uh, several years ago called 119.1. And I highly recommend uh, that anybody that is involved in the connectivity space read at least the first page, page and a half of this advisory circular because it does a wonderful job kind of describing the FAA's thought process uh, circa mid last decade on what some of the cyber threats are to aircraft and, and why it's important to have uh, a aircraft network security uh, plan. So what is that plan? Well, uh, or what is, the, what is the guidance? To summarize uh, ACC 119.1, uh, the FAA said, hey, for aircraft that are highly connected, what they called, and I, I think uh, possibly Boeing has trademarked, uh, E-enabled, meaning there are TCP IP uh, uh, networks, you know, and we think of those as Ethernet, you know, Wi-Fi, fiber, right? This is a higher level protocol that runs across um, and, and really is the backbone of our IT infrastructure. Where we see that type of connectivity on aircraft, especially in the flight deck, you need to pay more attention operators and OEMs. Uh, 
in operators, what you need to do is uh, follow security guidance that the OEMs will now be required to develop and provide to you. And uh, in order to maintain the airworthiness of your e-enabled or, or highly connected fleet, and that is determined by a special condition that is assigned to specific types of aircraft, and today I'm only tracking a handful of um, specific uh, aircraft types that uh, are subject to this in the FAA. Uh, there is debate about expanding that uh, universally, and I know some uh, members in the audience are, are parts of working groups that are, are working uh, that, that topic closely across industry and government. But um, you know, today there's only a handful of aircraft that require this. The operators have to do one of two things. They have to either implement in their general uh, operating procedures that the FAA approves and reviews, uh, they either have to implement the OEM's guidance on how they're going to uh, secure these aircraft, or they have to come up with their own security procedures, a plan, uh, pitch that to the FAA and gain, uh, gain consent. And so summarizing um, the two major OEM's uh, aircraft network security plan operational guidance that's been disseminated to operators today, uh, for aircraft that are e-enabled, um, there are computers on board that are generating a tremendous amount of data, and they have the ability to provide security logs. Those security logs are concentrated on a singular internal computer, and then they're offloaded uh, off the computer, uh, typically over a Wi-Fi link when that plane pulls into a gate that has been outfitted with a, uh, typically some type of gate net Wi-Fi solution that plugs into that operator's internal uh, network. Uh, these, uh, these collections of uh, security logs from the aircraft are sometimes referred to as data crates. And, uh, and this is where things get really interesting because the OEM's guidance to the operator says, hey, take the data crates and uh, you have to go ahead and, and review them periodically for any type of cyber anomalies. And here is a huge spreadsheet of thousands and thousands of different types of things that you need to look for. Good luck. <laughs> so. Um, so this is, uh, this is obviously a challenge for some of the operators that are flying E-enabled aircraft because uh, you know, this is a competitive industry and uh, nobody has the, the money or uh, you know, candidly doesn't make much business interest in such an automated uh, era to hire a huge team of people that are just going to review security logs all the time. So um, uh, typically, uh, many of the airlines have uh, either spun up internal uh, teams to develop some automation tools to review these security logs for particular anomalies, um, try and assess using various techniques uh, what the, uh, the threat level um, or severity of each of the anomalies is, and then come up with playbooks. But this is all new, and uh, everybody is taking a different approach across the industry, and, uh, and today I want to suggest a better way uh, to do all of this, uh, one that pulls on, I think, the multiple decades worth of cybersecurity experience and policy that has been developed, uh, I argue, actually quite effectively securing our IT infrastructure, um, all things uh, you know, taken into account, and, uh, and getting back to principles that, the, uh, that NIST, or the National Institutes for Standards and Technology, have, uh, have developed and released after a tremendous amount of experience uh, as a set of best practices or cyber hygiene um, in the IT uh, industry that we should apply to the connected avionics in, in aviation industry. 
So um, I, I want to refute a statement made in ACC 119.1, and that is uh, this specific quote here that uh, the FAA believes that most large operators are adequately qualified to handle an ANSP. I think that speaking on behalf of many of our uh, many of the customers that we work with and support in the airline industry, uh, the airlines do not feel like they are qualified to handle this. Um, th that cybersecurity of avionics is a, an incredibly technically complex task, and they are not resourced uh, or funded to, uh, to do this at the level uh, that, they, uh, that they, they believe that they need to. Um, so this is a, an area of kind of emerging concern um, and debate. So I want to talk through uh, a, uh, a framework that NIST um, popularized and is, is used to uh, really contextualize or, or talk about the way that we do cybersecurity in our IT networks and why this makes a lot of sense to apply it to our, our connected aircraft. And that is uh, the NIST uh, cybersecurity uh, framework. And, and we've actually summarized it down to uh, four steps here. Uh, step number one is uh, on any type of computing environment, which I would argue a modern aircraft with a, you know, a digital uh, flight deck is, whether or not it has connectivity uh, off. If it has a digital flight deck, I'm going to argue it's, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be running an internal set of computers that are operating over a series of, uh, of networks, either point-to-point -point, in the case of A-Ring 429, or uh, a more traditional network or bus architecture like A-Ring 629 AFDX. Um, et cetera, if some of you are familiar with those technical terms. Step number one, um, in any type of environment, IT or operational technology, connected aircraft, is to establish visibility, is to be able to collect data and see and observe and record everything that is going on on the inside. It's kind of this simple. If, uh, if you have a, a black uh, you know, room behind a door, if you never shine a light in the door, you have no idea what's going on in there. Um, to, to take it back to my military roots, for those of you with the defense background, in Ranger School, they had a very simple axiom. They said, if you put a defensive structure uh, or an obstacle up to try and slow the enemy down, but you don't observe it, you're not watching it, it kind of doesn't matter. You know, they're just going to plow their way through you know, the, the trees that you, you fall across the road. Um, you have to watch it. You have to have a plan to kind of uh, you know, address uh, you know, somebody that's trying to get through your defenses. Um, it really is quite, the, quite that simple. So step one um, in you know, the connected aerospace, connected aviation uh, world is we need to do full take, full packet data collect. We need to accomplish observability, visibility, and we have to store all of that information or cache it um, in its totality so that it can be reviewed, analyzed, correlated, uh, not just uh, across uh, the life cycle and flight cycle of a particular aircraft, but across a fleet. Now, does that data have to be stored forever? No, not necessarily. Um, although storage is incredibly cheap, um, it's actually totally feasible, and some of our defense customers store every packet and every frame ever produced by uh, a weapons platform from cradle to grave. It's uh, really exciting uh, because that enables uh, a whole host of applications, everything from digital twinning that we heard, uh, you know, spoke about on, on day one, uh, to more advanced uh, flight data management and FOCA, flight operations quality assurance applications, then are, are available today. Uh, but it is kind of table stakes for cybersecurity. Step two is you have to do some type of detection. You have to normalize or understand the baseline. What does normal, healthy, correct look like? 
and uh, on any operational technology, any, any aircraft, this is going to be a little bit different from tail to tail uh, because there are always perturbations in the data, uh, there are always quirks. Um, every aircraft, when you get deep enough in the data, deep enough in the signals, is going to have its own unique uh, characteristics that are going to be slightly different uh, from others even when the configurations are technically the same. So you have to have smart enough algorithms, smart enough detection signatures, like an antivirus or intrusion detection system, running on an aircraft to identify, all right, this, this aircraft is operating normally, or there is some type of anomaly here. We need to investigate that. And detection also implies that you need a way to characterize the severity of the anomalies um, that the system detects. And, uh, and what you don't want a detection system to do is just spit out hundreds or thousands of alerts and make everybody run, run around. We call that alert fatigue in a security operations center, and it's a, it's a really quick way to turn everybody off uh, to, the, to the whole problem. And, uh, and basically, at the end of the day, somebody will, will literally turn the system off because they're like, I can't handle you know, a thousand alert indications. Um, I don't know what to do. So systems have to be smart. Uh, but what you hear is, um, what I'm saying with the detection phase is that you really critically have to do some type of monitoring, baseline analysis, and uh, anomaly detection, and, uh, and classification. Uh, the next step is that airlines have to have, or, or should implement, procedures to do incident response or investigations when there are severe enough indications that something is remiss. Now, today we do this in the IT side of the house, but we don't do this for uh, you know, many of our uh, avionics and, and connected systems. And the reason is because organizationally there has been a gap between IT folks that typically fall up under a CIO and maybe their security brothers that fall up under the CISO and they're on one side of the organization and everybody that makes the planes fly and keeps a schedule that's going to fall up under the COO. And organizationally, and we see this across many industries, this isn't unique to, uh, to aviation, uh, these organizations sometimes can have a strange relationship because one is trying to operate a communications network, one is trying to secure that, and the other are trying to maintain and keep planes flying. And so anytime a security person comes and uh, you know, suggests something that might slow down, um, delay, uh, you know, the, those, are, those are loss leaders, and that's not a conversation anybody's excited about. Um, so traditionally, I actually believe it's because of these organizational dynamics that we haven't been more forward-leaning into looking into, all right, what are the playbooks, the standard operating procedures uh, that we would empl uh, employ if we suspected that there was some type of bad code um, you know, injected into a specific onboard component on an aircraft that we need to investigate. Who are we going to pull together? What does that look like? How do we reconstitute systems um, as quickly as possible, get them back uh, on, on schedule? And then finally, and related to that, is, is threat hunting. This is a concept where you have people uh, that are monitoring automated systems that are continuously looking for new signatures, new techniques, new procedures that adversaries are developing against systems. Um, now that implies that there are people out there whose job it is to figure out how to hack our aircraft. Um, and uh, I, you know, the world that I come from suggests that that is a real thing, uh, that those people are well-funded, they're well-educated, and they have access. 
um, to the equipment and material and know-how to, to do this. Um, and that there may be, you know, political, geopolitical, um, you know, or, or military defense reasons to do that. Um, I would ask you not to take my word for that, but uh, to speak with your security professionals and your organizations and get their take on, you know, some of those persistent threats. But threat hunting is this concept that uh, just like we have physical security, uh, just like we, uh, you know, have systems that are constantly looking for threats in our IT environment, um, reporting that up, uh, we need to employ these concepts as well in, in operational technology. So uh, with, uh, with that, I think I kept about five minutes remaining. I would love to open it up and, and take some questions from the audience. But just in summary, um, what I would love everybody to take away uh, from is, uh, is what we need to do with connected aviation. Uh, what we need to do with modern fly-by-wire aircraft is employ the same cybersecurity hygiene processes and techniques that we have uh, successfully employed to secure our IT infrastructure. We need to employ that in, on our flight decks and on our aircraft. Um, I think, uh, honestly, nothing less than that uh, will be acceptable in this new era, this new connected and digital era that uh, aviation is entering. Um, and. Uh, and while fortunately today we are not up here you know, talking about uh, and doing a retrospective on some disaster, we need to get ahead and stay ahead of these threats uh, because the economic impact of, uh, of some type of uh, uh, attack uh, would be tremendous against the industry. So uh, fortunately there are a lot of people that are working on this, but I just wanted to, to highlight some of the policy and, uh, and my recommendation with uh, applying that NIST framework uh, to connected aviation. Thank you. Great presentation. I think we have a few questions. Good morning, Mike. Um, great presentation. So where do companies that are just now getting into this or mindset of security for the airplane, the whole aviation ecosystem, what are some of the resources that they should go? Where, what's the first step someone should be doing right now? I mean, I hear you talk about the NIST. I hear you talk about the importance of it, but folks that just don't have a background, who do you recommend they reach out to? Um, I'm not sure if this is a planted question because I think we actually have an organization here that I want to uh, direct them to. So um, there is an aviation uh, ISAC uh, that I, I think many of the uh, major operators um, are, are members of. I think we have a, a rep in uh, in the room here uh, that represents them, but this is a security professional. Yep, sir, actually, that's that's you. Um, I highly recommend that people go and approach that. There are a series of working groups that they can join. Uh, they can point you to education. Um, also, uh, remember, you know, the, the FAA works for the industry and uh, has a tremendous amount of resources uh, at, at their disposal. Um, they have a, a whole cybersecurity directorate focused on the security of aircraft, a separate one focused on the security of our uh, navigation systems um, and all the services that they provide through, um, uh, you know, through uh, uh, our centers and, and TRACONs. So uh, those would be the first two places that I would stop. Um, and then, uh, you know, candidly, I, I would invest in uh, a, a travel budget for the security professionals uh, that work for the CISO. Um, getting them out to certain conferences, uh, I think, is, is really healthy, and, and just letting them kind of network if they're not already uh, with uh, the ecosystem is, is probably the fastest way 
for organizations to get up to speed. Great. We had a question come in online. What about aircraft that do not feature connectivity? Are there still cyber risks that those airlines with no connectivity on board need to be aware of, especially considering how much more sophisticated bad actors are becoming? Yes. So I, I argue that there's no such thing as a non-connected aircraft. Um, and uh, my point is, right, uh, after 2020, we have an ADSB mandate. Um, while that was an ADSB out mandate, I'm I'm unaware that, like, I, th I believe the vast majority of, you know, commercial uh, aircraft and service today have ADSB in. That's an example of a bi-directional, uh, you know, data path. Um, all aircraft with digital flight decks, um, you know, have to receive periodic uh, database updates. Uh, they are getting uh, periodic firmware and software updates uh, when they uh, when they go into annual as well. So. Um, I think that we need to just completely dispel the notion that unless we're talking about something like a Cessna with a six-pack and it's pedostatic and analog instruments, um, unless we're talking about that, we're, th there's just no such thing as an air-gapped or a disconnected aircraft. And I also want to uh, suggest that the industry not focus on the infotainment and uh, passenger connectivity systems as the primary threats to the aircraft. Candidly, from a security professional's perspective, I don't care if the passengers don't have Wi-Fi because uh, you know, that system was degraded, disabled somehow by a malicious actor. Uh, we care about flight safety, first and foremost. So it's really the flight deck, it's the green side of the aircraft that the conversation needs to be focused on. And I think previous security research done initially you know, by the hacking and academia community has kind of misled the entire industry to talk about what's going on in the cabin and not in the flight deck. So that would be uh, my response to that. Great, thank you. Uh, sadly, this is gonna be talking a little bit about that distinction between back and front, but um, can you comment just on the, uh, on the somewhat dependence of uh, Dell-E in the back of the aircraft and uh, higher design assurance levels in the front of the aircraft and, and sort of the, the, the dependence or apparent dependence on that in terms of uh, assisting in the uh, security separation? Yeah, so my first thought is that the security um, systems engineering that the aviation industry, uh, you know, I think honestly has, has pioneered and that the FAA has codified in some of our RTCA standards, right? I think 178 comes to mind as a, as a, a wonderful example. The design assurance level um, of our, our connected systems inside of an aircraft uh, is a framework that designers use to consider how critical, safety critical, a particular piece of hardware or software is uh, to flight safety. And um, a complicated set of processes go into and analyzing that and then drive a whole bunch of design and testing requirements and, and typically redundancy requirements for systems that are higher design assurance level, like level A stuff, where if you lose all the level A stuff, plane don't work. Um, think FADEX as an example, the, the, uh, the computers that control the turbine engines, right? A tremendous amount of testing and reliability engineering going into that. Um, I think that uh, syncing up the NIST framework and, um, and focusing our cyber attention on higher DAO level components is where airlines and the industry focus their dollars um, on, uh, you know, on, on the best investments uh, and, and focus 
uh, toward flight safety, if that makes any sense. Did I address your question, sir? Okay, thank you. Great, we have time for one more question. Uh, thank you, really great presentation. So my area of focus is in uncrewed vehicles, which is clearly the more forward part of, of this conference. Um, and one of the things that we've really struggled with and you talk about automation a lot, is everything about uncrewed is automated. And there's a lot of similar threads that run through the crewed commercial aviation that when you look at automated, uncrewed, you start to see the technology still converge in the things that they want to do. So the biggest challenge in that is cybersecurity. And, and that's where even regulators seem to not really understand, like, where should we be pointing or how should we be looking at this when we remove the pilot? But they seem very similar. And I'm curious to your, how you look at that evolution of, of also bringing uncrewed vehicles into a shared airspace and all needing to be co-managed. Yeah, so certainly we're gonna need cybersecurity on fully autonomous uh, aircraft, right? Whether we're, you know, uh, you know the, the UAVs type one through, uh, you know, five today um, or, uh, you know, some of the larger uncrewed systems that are going to be sharing airspace uh, across the NAS. Um, I want to say something audacious here. I think that a fly-by-wire aircraft is already a fully autonomous system because the software, if it were programmed not to listen to the pilots, is going to do whatever it commands the aircraft to do. Right? Think about that for a second. If you are a pilot and you are on, on the flight deck, and uh, you are flying a fly-by-wire aircraft, all of the control inputs that you make are really messages being sent and interpreted by a computer that then is communicating them over a digital network to yet other computers that then create physical outcomes. So if the software somehow doesn't listen to you, and I'm not suggesting a Terminator scenario here, don't get me wrong, um, but I, what, I'm, what I'm suggesting is that we are already at that technology convergence, the security convergence, uh, with our modern fly-by-wire aircraft and fully autonomous vehicles. So I think that um, one of these clearly evokes a need uh, for uh, better cybersecurity policy and technologies. Uh, but I would argue that we're actually already in that era um, with, uh, with many of our manned uh, platforms uh, that are leading the way. So, uh, ma'am, I, I, uh, I, I hope that's helpful. Okay, thank you so much. Team, I really appreciate your time. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on the Apple iOS podcast app or any smartphone or tablet podcasting application. Feel free to rank and comment on our podcast as well to let us know how we can improve. It also helps others find the podcast. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast.